0: Faithless Brewing Podcast. I am David Robertson, joining you from the unseasonably warm Twin Cities, and I am joined, as always, by the CEO of the Faithless Brewing Podcast. He is Cave Dan Online. He's Dan Trever, coming to us from the Mystic East. What's going on, my friend?
1: David, hello. Yes, I'm here in the windy city of Shinsu, Taiwan. I'm here visiting my grandmother, and it has also been unseasonably warm supposed to be the dead of winter, but it's been like mid-70s, high-70s. People breaking out the shorts, for the most part. Today is freezing, but yeah. (laughs) Been unexpected summer. So there's that. But yeah, it's good to see you again, David. It's been a while.
0: It has, yeah. Everybody, you know, hopefully made it through the uh, holiday season, and now we are into the second holiday season, which is spoiler season.
1: Exactly. Murders at Karlov Manor. This is our set review episode, which also means it is the beginning of season 21 of Faithless Brewing. The podcast has reached another milestone. Uh, You can now drink, I suppose. Um, What else happens when you turn 21? Exactly. (laughs) You can make bad decisions now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, hopefully you don't, you know, drink and drive. Yeah, exactly. It's funny, right before I turned 21 is when Minnesota added the extra hour. Like it was almost within the week. That they decided that bars could stay open the extra hour from one to two. So, oh, really? That was quite the uh, <laughs> quite the time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> My goodness. Uh, yeah. So hopefully our podcast will make better decisions in the future. Um, I do realize it's been a while since we've released an episode, and I do want to apologize for that. Part of the bad context here is that uh, in the fall I I started a new job, and it's like a very seasonal industry. So from everywhere between August until just about now, uh, has been like pretty pretty jam-packed. And it's been a struggle for me to like fit in the magic time. So that's like my end, why I haven't been as able to keep up with that. Broadly speaking, among the Faithless Brewing crew, you know, Zach Manasimbal, he's still out there, but he's on his cruise contract, I believe, until April. Mord, our dear friend Mord, I mean, he's he's surviving. He's scrapping and surviving. You know, they had that devastating election down there in Argentina. What we hear, it's not looking too good these days, but, uh, you know, he's just focusing on keeping things together down there. We hope he's doing well, and we hope to hear from him again soon.
0: We'll have our uh, own devastating election this fall to follow his lead. (laughs)
1: Yes, (laughs) very much so. We'll be moving down to Buenos Aires pretty soon, uh, (laughs) fleeing whatever American carnage is coming. David, I'm encouraged that you're still living your best life in the Twin Cities.
0: Yeah, you know, um, Minnesota, more and more attractive. Tons of water here for you uh, southwestern people that don't have enough water or your southeastern people that are going to be flooded. Warmer this winter than ever before. Um, We had like a little brief. Polar plunge the last like seven, eight days, and now it's like in the 30s and 40s for the rest of the winter, possibly, they're saying. so. Oh my gosh. Yes, it is the end of days, but it's good to be here with you at the end of times. So, yes. <laughs> lots of uh, open space in Minneapolis, if anybody wants to move here. I was thinking about it, actually.
1: I was thinking about moving back to the Twin Cities. It looks like that's not going to happen, but Minneapolis was a strong contention. That the rent prices and the housing prices were much more attractive in the Twin Cities, I have to say.
0: But well, yeah, to all the uh, faithless listeners out there, Minneapolis is a great place to live.
1: That's right, the place to be.
0: <laughs> we'll get our our pro Minnesota content out. <laughs> exactly.
1: Okay, so the good news is, I am declaring myself back. I've gotten through the busy season, I've got smooth sailing from like now until let's say. Summer, at least. <laughs> so I'm back locked, focused on cracking the case, solving the clues. We got a mystery in front of us. It's the brand new set, brand new season, Murders at Karlov Manor. We're just going to get through as much as we can. We got the whole set dumped on us in about a week, uh, as has been Watsi's preferred cadence lately. So David and I have taken a look. Uh, we're going to be focusing our comments mainly on Pioneer. I think only a handful of these cards could even potentially sniff Modern. Um, And we'll just get through as many as we can.
0: Yeah, and before we get to that, we want to give a shout-out to our newest patrons. Uh, We want to welcome Sam R., Rasmus J., and Clock. (laughs) Uh, I don't know if Clock is just (laughs) someone who wins on time on Magic Online, If if it's a man, if it's a woman, if it's a... Inanimate object that documents the passage of the fourth dimension of time. <laughs> Whatever it is, welcome to all three of those individuals. Thank you very much for your support. We really appreciate it. Um, and if anyone else is in the uh mood to join the Patreon, that is the best way to support the show. And this is one of the best times to do it during spoiler season, when all the new cards are out, when the ideas are uh flying and people don't quote unquote know that cards are bad or good or that this card was always broken. Uh, This is still a uh, a time when your mind is free, when you still have the learner mentality, which is when you can be creative.
1: Precisely, precisely. Ideas have been flying in the Faithless Brewing Discord. we got a lot of cars to get through, and we're just going to dive straight in. So, Murders at Karlov Manor, MKM. Technically, this is set on the plane of Ravnica, so you'll see some familiar names and faces, but it has no mechanical relationship whatsoever to previous murders. Ravnica sets, right? There's no mention of guilds, there's no emphasis on colors or anything like that. Instead, we have just straight up murder mystery, Hercule Poirot, Sherlock Holmes, Scooby-Doo, Agatha Christie, it's all here, right? They're just going hard on the tropes. Your initial impressions, David, so far, do do you enjoy this very modern feel to a magic set?
0: Um... I don't care very much about the uh, setting. I think I've been pretty uh, consistent about that. So I don't I don't care about the lore. Um, I do love the idea of the clue. I think that was the first sort of artifact trinket they gave us, which wasn't just draw a card. It wasn't just attaching looting to these abilities. And I think it's actually opened up a ton of design space for um, blood, for food, mm. um, for maps. So this feels a lot like Innistrad to me in the sense that it is very top-down design, to your point, Um, not just sort of horror tropes, but specifically mystery tropes, Um, and it has clues. So this, of course, it's not on Innistrad, but um, I love Innistrad, so I guess in that sense I I do like uh, sort of what we've seen so far.
1: Yeah, I initially assumed it was set on Innistrad, but that turned out to not be the case upon closer inspection, (laughs) inspecting the clues. (laughs) Like, oh, it's actually Ravnica. Uh, I heard murders and I heard manor, and I just assumed it was some kind of haunted house. Uh, That's, I guess, not quite what's happening here. Okay, so we're in the city, the city of Ravnica, a city that never sleeps, and we have a bunch of new mechanics. We'll run through them from the top, starting with cases. Cases are a new type of enchantment. I guess these are somewhat similar to sagas. They begin in their unsolved state. But we'll take the example of Case of the Burning Masks, it's one red red, and when when this case, the case of the Burning Masks, enters the battlefield, it deals 3 damage to target creature and opponent controls. So you can kind of see where this is going. For 3 mana, at sorcery speed, you deal 3 damage to something. That's like almost a plausible card. So the rest of the card is just going to be a little bit of flavorful ways to unlock additional value. And this is going to remind you a lot of sagas, but in the case of cases, you actually have to solve the case, right? So the next part says to solve the case of the burning masks. three or more sources you controlled have dealt damage this turn. When that condition has been met on your end step, the case now moves into solved mode. And when a case is solved, you unlock the third piece of text, which could be a triggered ability. In this case, it's an activated ability. Once you've solved this case, you now have the ability to sacrifice Case of the Burning Mass to exile your top three cards of your library, choose one of them, and you may play that card this turn. So if you add it all up, much like with sagas, you feel like you get a lot of stuff by the end. But solving a case could take some time, maybe it'll just never happen, right? You could quite easily just never solve a case, and that's not a total disaster. Uh, But if you do solve the case, you have dealt three damage to a creature, and you've looked at three and gotten to play one. So what do you make of this card type, David, and specifically this case?
0: I think that sagas were a huge improvement over Planeswalkers. I think I was honestly one of the first people in the community to say that this is what Planeswalkers should have been. And they continue to explore different sagas. The sagas that flip into creatures have been super cool. Um, and this is another way to do it, right? It's, it's functioning a saga with only two triggers, the initial one and the final condition. It gives you like a little mission, right? So the it kind of tells you what you need to do. You need to decide how important that first ability is and how often you can live with not solving the case. I do want to point out that solving the case always happens at the end step. So these are actually going to be a little more clunky than you'd think. This particular saga it, uh, case is terrible. Um, it is wildly unplayable. The front half, three mana for three damage to a creature is terrible. They need to start letting these red effects go face. Um, especially if they're gonna price them this, this poorly, so. I mean, this is just an uncommon, this will, this will be a fine card in uh, Limited. There's tons of play to it, tons of decision-making, so I love this style of card. This particular, this particular case is just not even close.
1: Next mechanic is called Collect Evidence. Collecting Evidence means you exile cards from your graveyard with a total mana value of X or greater. So there'll be a number printed on the card, Example, Analyze the Pollen It's green for a sorcery. As an additional cost to cast Analyze the Pollen, you may collect Evidence 8. So in order to do that, you need to exile cards from your graveyard with total mana value 8 or more. If you've done that, then you have collected the Evidence required. Okay, so what happens? Well, it's it's kind of like a kicker in, in this case. So the normal mode, search your library for a basic land card, put it into your hand, then shuffle. However, if evidence was collected, if you exiled eight or more, you instead search your library for a creature or a land, and then that card goes into your hand, and then you shuffle. So the same templating as Traverse the Mold, but instead of having to achieve Delirium, here you're actually going to consume cards from the graveyard.
0: Yeah, so we've had like seven or eight now, Lay of the Land plus mechanic, <laughs> uh, set mechanic. I think this is the best of all of them um street wraith is a five mana card that goes to your graveyard the uh various land cyclers in uh the lord of the Rings set are one mana uh to cycle but they have you know whatever five for the blue one you know six for the red one so it's actually quite easy to turn this on in modern Hmm. um reasonably easy to turn it on if you want to in pioneer there's the six mana sorcery uh draw four that can cycle for one colorless. There's the seven-mana creature that cycles for a blue. So if you really want to turn this on, you can. Um, but you know, I think you've been pointing out very well, very um sort of eloquently, Dan. We think of tutoring as this broken effect, and then we go th- jump through all these hoops to turn on our tutor, and then like we just tutor for the same creatures we just play. So, you know, we're paying an extra mana, we're cycling these, you know, kind of clunky cards, what are we getting out of it? I think in modern, it's already cards you want to play, and maybe you can get cheaper creatures, right? Death Shadow is a card that Traverse the Uvinwald was often played with, so you can often tutor for it and play at the same turn. We don't quite have those options in Pioneer, but I think this card is very powerful.
1: Yeah, so if I'm hearing you correctly, despite all those caveats, you do think this is actually worth building around in Pioneer? Modern, maybe not worth building around, but it's in contention.
0: I think in modern, it's going to see more play than Pioneer. I, I think Traverse has been terrible in Pioneer every time we try to play with it, and this is better than Traverse. So it's a card you can try to play around with, but there's not a creature I'm even thinking of like I always want to tutor. I don't even know what I would play with this in Pioneer.
1: I mean, it, it tutors non basic lands when it's fully kicked as well, if that's relevant.
0: I think the, I think you could be able to rebuild like the Jund version or maybe a four-color version of like Death Shadow, which was big for a while. I think you can play a couple of these in that type of deck. Also worth noting, this exiles them, so it's not like Traverse the Wall, where it's like all other traverses are turned on. This, you know, exiles your Street Wraith. <laughs> um, so you have to find another eight, you know, CMC worth of cards that are going to the graveyard if you want to cast your second one. So maybe you play like two of them
1: so many mechanics are just ravenous to consume your graveyard. Collect Evidence, you just put it in that bucket. Um, If you're building a deck around the Collect Evidence mechanic, you're going to have a graveyard that's continuously getting reduced down to zero. So in that sense, you're like weirdly somewhat protected from graveyard heat because you you weren't relying on the graveyard being full or anything like that. But you're just like, you're not going to be able to do anything else with the graveyard like it's going to be getting gobbled up constantly. Or you're gonna be getting a lot of basic lands, which you have to be okay with. I think for a card like this, you just have to be okay with a one mana sorcery that, you know, maybe the spell casting prowess angle of the card is the main thing you want, and then every once in a while you get to collect evidence and go get a creature, which is fine.
0: Yeah, I mean, casting of the land is pretty tough, so hopefully you aren't doing that too often. But that's why I think this is maybe not like a build-around card. I think this is just a card you can play as a couple of in decks that already were wanting to play. You know, like I said, Street Wraith is just in certain decks already. Street Wraith is a card you want to play with Shadow. so.
1: Mm. All right, next up, an old mechanic, an ancient mechanic, returning in disguise, uh, cloaked in new form. So the morph mechanic from Onslaught Block, is that right? Yeah, that's from back when I was in college. That's an uh, ancient, ancient mechanic. Okay, so morph, back in the day, referred to like alien creatures being encased in these kind of tarantula shaped clay capsules, right? And then they would burst free when you unmorph them, and it turns out that, ah, surprise, it was a goblin or it was like a battering craghorn or something like that. Not a super successful mechanic. I mean, it was a fun limited environment. They brought it back for Cons of Tarkir, but what we've seen is that it morph and constructed just isn't a thing, right? Paying three for a 2-2 face-down creature is just it's just not going to happen. Uh, in cons block, they also paired it with Manifest, which gives you the ability to just take any old card and turn it face-down. They updated the game rules to say that face-down cards now just have the properties of being 2-2s. So we're going back to that, Well. What do you do when you need to make an unattractive mechanic a little bit better? Well, you slap Ward 2 on it, right? This is the future of magic, is Ward 2. So, (laughs) Disguise is just morph with Ward 2. Cloak is just manifest with Ward 2. Um, I don't think there's any other differences, are there?
0: No. Zero differences.
1: Okay, so I guess the question is, are any of these cards even plausible for Constructed?
0: Well, I think what they've done is they've made the front side of these cards, like, more aggressive, you know? So, th- we have an example here, Fugitive Codebreaker. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a 2-mana, two 2-1 two Prowess Haste. So, that is not exactly, like, a, a super great card, but that's pretty close yeah. to being on the on the right path here. Um, it has a Disguise, so you can flip it up for 5 and a red, and that cost is reduced by 1 for each Incident Sorcery card in your graveyard. When it's turned face-up, discard your hand, then draw three cards. So very reminiscent of Be- Bedlam Reveler, which once it's in play is a 3-4 prowess creature. Um, so if you have the five instants and Sorceries in your graveyard already, this is three mana for a 2-1 prowess haste that does the Bedlam Reveler thing. So I think it's actually very, very competitively priced with that, especially you never really want to play four Bedlam Revelers because the first... You know, the first one that resolves discards your other ones that doesn't and they don't turn it on. This is a card you you don't mind playing on turn two, right? You play your um monastery swift spear, they fatal push it. You just play Fugitive Cobreaker Attack for two. You know, they play their you know, whatever, uh, Blood Tithe Harvester, you kill it, trigger your prowess, etc. You get to play the game with this, and then your third or fourth one that you draw is the one that you flip up to draw the cards.
1: Yeah, I think that is the secret to making a mechanic like Morph or Disguise even remotely playable and constructed, is you have to make the card playable without the Disguise half. Fugitive Codebreaker is actually the only 2-1 prowess haste in the history of the game. So I I think your analysis is correct, David, but there isn't actually an exact comparison in any previous card. Like you search for 2-1 prowess haste for 2, it just doesn't exist. I think the only other card with prowess and haste is... Uh, what is that is it colored one three flyer storm chaser mage
0: oh yeah storm chaser mage yes
1: but for the most part you know we have two on prowess for two but that doesn't have haste right so this on its front face if we call it that might just be like good enough uh and then you you slap on the ability to pay uh hopefully just four mana right three to disguise and then potentially just one to undisguise the code breaker that's super attractive I guess the lesson from the 1-3 the guy was that haste is not super important on these creatures. Because you're, you're paying 2, you really don't have that much mana left over to pump at that turn. But that's a 1-3, this is a 2-1, so that's like a fine turn 2 play. Just like play this down on turn 2, hit for 2. That's actually a pretty good turn. It's like a Villachino Pyromancer with a lot of upside
0: yeah absolutely you and, know and just the line that i outlined right you you play your one drop they you whatever strangle it mm-hmm. you just get in for two now they have to decide like am i going to kill this creature or am i going to like play my you know two drop if you don't kill it you know you're going to cast you know whatever shock their face trigger opt trigger consider trigger i mean this is a legitimate threat and, and in the late game just like you said hopefully you were paying four mana um And we're drawing three cards. I mean, a four-mana, two-one Prowess Haste that draws three cards is broken. So I think the fact that you can like play all all four of them as your sort of 10th through 14th creature in your Prowess deck, and then everything else can be instance, and your deck can be very cheap because this isn't an expensive card if you play the front side up, makes this very playable.
1: Okay, so thinking of Pioneer specifically, Mono Red has has not really been a strong contender, but... Let's just think from mono-red for a second. Would you agree that this is better than the other two mana options? So we should just play four Fugitive Codebreakers in that deck and assume that they're better than Eidolon of the Great Revel or Leeching of Pyromancers or whatever? Just straight up start with four of these?
0: I think there is a blue-red prowess deck that existed and this should be added to that list and instead of playing like treasure cruise or whatever that th- that deck was playing this is the card you should be using that doesn't consume your graveyard at all
1: okay so leading to that prowess angle you say if i'm interested in soul's car mage swiss Spear and some other prowess threat this is the third prowess threat
0: yeah and i think normally you know you end up with more than 12 creatures so i don't know if we're playing you know the the dragon sprite or whatever I, I, People who have played a little bit more of this deck than me can speak to that, but that deck would play like Opt, Consider, a bunch of one-mana Burn, um, sometimes more Wizards, right, to lean into the Wizards team, sometimes not. I think this is the card that you can do. They can't ever attack your graveyard because this is the only card that interacts with it. You don't play Treasure Cruise because that consumes your graveyard. This is your card advantage engine. That's also a threat.
1: Yeah, I do feel like it will end up opening up the most deck-building space just because now your entire prowess package is in red. So if for some reason you didn't want to go into blue, you no longer have to. It provides the Treasure Cruise angle. Uh, It lets lets you play mono-red if you want. It lets you pair red with some other color if you talk yourself into (laughs) um, analyzing the pollen or something like that.
0: Well, like maybe this card is in like Red-White Heroic, right? Which is another deck that has a lot of instant sorceries, etc. Um, and, and only plays a narrow creature package. This might just be better than some of the random like white cards that you know get pumped when they get targeted.
1: So I'm going to tentatively say this will be one of the most impactful cards from the set. I, I know that I tend to overrate these, but it seems to check all the boxes and then some.
0: Well, you're a man who loves a bedlam reveler, so I think better. This might be a better bedlam reveler, and if that's true, then we should at least be trying this. <laughs>
1: Alright, so some hope for Disguise in Constructed, but what about Cloak? Only a handful of cards in the set have the Cloak ability. Cloak is just manifest, so you end up taking any random card, putting it face down, it's now a 2-2 with Ward. If that card happens to be a creature, you have the ability to uncloak it by paying its mana cost. However, if it's not, if it's just a land or a spell, then it's just a 2-2, Ward 2, that's face down. Talk to me about uh, Etrata Deadly Fugitive, David.
0: Yeah, so Atrata is back in a much more attractive creature. So one, a blue and a black for a vampire assassin. One, for death touch. It says, face down creatures you control have two blue, black, colon, turn this creature face up. If you can't exile it, then you may cast the exiled card without paying its mana cost. Whenever an assassin you control deals combat damage to an opponent, cloak the top card of that player's library so our play pattern is we play this out on turn three our opponent plays whatever fable of the mirror breaker we attack with our 1-4 death touch they either throw away their 2-2 for no value or they let us hit them and we get at minimum a 2-2 ward creature that 2-2 ward creature while Itrada is in play has this extra ability so if we hit a creature there's we can flip it up for four mana if it's a cheap creature we can flip it up for its mana cost if we have the mana colors to do so if we hit Whatever, to fairy, the five mana one, we can for four mana flip up our ward creature and cast a fairy without paying five mana. Um, so this is a really if you get lucky, you have a crazy chance to high roll, right? You can flip up a huge creature. Now that there aren't that many of those that are played in the format. Or you can flip up an expensive spell if you hit their dig through time, if you hit their treasure cruise. Um, it's a fine blocker. It's a hard to block profitably, right? The best a creature can hope to do is trade with it. Um, you know, survive stomp. You have to trigger, you have to kick your push to ha- kill it. it's Phoenix only has four spells in the deck to kill it. So I think this card's really good. It reminds me a little bit of Preacher of Schism, a card you weren't in love with, but has actually seen quite a bit of play. Um, and I think it actually compares favorably to that.
1: Hmm. Now, you're mainly talking about triggering a Trotta when it itself it deals damage to a player, but it does say whenever any assassin you control deals combat damage to an opponent. I'm just doing a quick check for other assassins.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I typed that out as well. There aren't any assassins I actually want to play. There is not a single one that I would like want in my deck. There are a few you could really t- twist my arm to put in there if I was yeah. for sure going to have a Trotta in play on turn three. There's some creatures with flying, there's some creatures with death touch, but um, there really isn't anything right now. Probably Mute Vault again is the best... Uh second oh, yeah. one. Uh, right. If if you had uh, space to f- play a few of those in your blue-black shell, you're going to be unable, obviously, to crew up your Mutavolt, uh make it a creature. The turn you play a Trot on turn three. So if you really want to turn it on, there's a Aven Heart Stabber is probably the closest to playable card. Um,
1: yeah, that one flies at but, least, but that's not know. a that's not much of a card.
0: <laughs> and, and when it dies, you draw a card, so it's like you get you get paid off for a die
1: Yeah, true. Okay, so that is Disguise and Cloak. The next mechanic is Suspect. Creatures can be suspected of being the culprits. This mechanic seems like mostly flavor. Like, a lot of cards have it, but it doesn't seem like it would have a large impact on gameplay. Basically, a creature that is suspected has menace and cannot block. So that's it. That's all it does. Just changes its combat stats, makes it more evasive, and makes it not able to block. What happens when suspected status is given to a creature? Well, you can kind of pass it around in a a fun way. So this card, Frantic Scapegoat. It's a single red for a 1-1 GOAT uh, with haste. When Frantic Scapegoat enters the battlefield, suspected, So it comes in as a 1-1 Menace Haste that can't block. It also says whenever one or more other creatures enter the battlefield under your control, if Frantic Scapegoat is suspected, you may instead suspect one of the other creatures. And then if you do so, Frantic Scapegoat is no longer suspected. So it can kind of clear its name, (laughs) pass off suspect status to the next creature. At that point, you'd now have just a regular 1-1 haste goat, which you can chump block with. And you grant menace and can't block to whatever your next creature is. I guess my question, David, is like, is all this passing around of suspect status actually add up to anything, or... Like, is, is Menace worth it in Constructed?
0: Well, Menace is very powerful, so I think there's kind of two narrow ways to think about it. There are specific cards that have Suspect that want to use it as part of rules text, and then there's just generic creatures that are aggressive. So on turn one, this is unblockable, basically, and then in theory, it makes your other creature that you hope to get through with also unblockable, um... So yeah, it's a very aggressive ability, right? To grant your creatures that you can no longer block, so you're you're just in the damage trading business. Um, I don't love one drops with one power, even ones with haste. So I, I don't specific, I don't particularly like this card, but I think the the ability is interesting.
1: Yeah, like if I let on this hit for one, pretty much guaranteed. Next turn, play my Bedlam Reveler guy, my Fugitive Codebreaker. Suspect that, that one's now 2-1, prowess, haste, menace, hit for 2. Um, and now I've got a pretty much unblockable prowess creature. But, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's still just a 1-1 goat, so I'm not too sure about that. They also just throw Suspect around onto cards where it doesn't seem to make a large difference in the gameplay. So you made a note here about the case of a stashed skeleton, David, so this is another one of those cases a uh, new case to crack. It's 1 in a black enchantment case. When case of the stashed skeleton enters, create a 2-1 black skeleton creature token and suspect it. So it's a 2-1 menace that can't block. You solve the case when you no longer when you no longer control any suspected skeletons. So when that condition is true, at the beginning of your end step, you will have solved the case. And now, in its solved state, you have the ability to pay 1 in a black to sacrifice the case for a demonic tutor. That is to say, you search for a library for any card, put it into your hand at sorcery speed. So I wouldn't make too much of this, except that we've been talking a lot about skeletons uh, with that. Uh, what was that enchantment, David? Uh, the one where the skeletons come to life and get haste?
0: Corpses of the Lost. That's it. Corpses of the Lost.
1: That's it. Yeah. So for part of your skeleton. Theme deck, you could you could put this in here. But what do you make of this card on its own merits?
0: Well, it's a hard card to wrap my head around, right? Two mana for a two-one menace that can't block is underpowered, Mm -hmm. right? We've got a lot of recurrable two-mana cards at three power these days, right? With upside. Like Watch Wolf is not playable. We've got very powerful two drops. This is not one of them. However, when it dies, it's almost like it super investigates, right? Instead of getting a clue, you get this enchantment that's left behind that lets you demonic tutor instead of draw so that even though you can't do it instant speed i think that's still much better um so i but i've as we just talked about with the uh collect the evidence card just building your whole deck around like you know deadly disputing the skeleton and then tutoring that's jumping through a lot of hoops just to cast demonic tutor and you're just going to tutor up all the normal cards you draw anyway um so i think this is Two bodies for bargain is the one thing that makes it interesting to me, right? That we can sack the skeleton to the one black, black, black card and tutor our deck and then cast a 4-drop for free. We're still left with another demonic tutor. So that's a deck that could have a ton of answers or tutor up combo pieces. Or we can make the skeleton itself threatening so that they're forced to kill it. So corpses are lost, pump skeletons, plus 1, plus plus oh. You could imagine like an audacity, like ways to make the skeleton more threatening. Um, the green, black enchantment deck that I had wanted creatures that were also enchantments. This is sort of like that. Um, and yeah, and then it, it, once they kill the skeleton, if you force them to kill a skeleton, right, because it's threatening them again, this is just like a value creature, right? Instead of like a two mana one, one that draws, right? We've got the, the white elvish visionary, that enchantment creature. This is like a two, one skeleton and you get to demonic tutor, right? It's like a super clue.
1: I mean, that sounds great. I think the biggest problem is that they're never gonna kill the skeleton. Right? It can't block, so it can't really impact combat in any meaningful way. All it can do is just like come in and like <laughs> you know, stab them a couple times <laughs> for two damage. But tokens that can't block are just they're just tough. You know, the opponent can just ignore them. If you're interested in that solved state. You have to kill the skeleton yourself, and at that point, you're paying a lot of mana just for a demonic tutor. So, ah, gosh, I feel like if it could block, or if there was some reasonable expectation that the skeleton is going to die without having to make me like, go out of my way to do it. like Even Deadly Dispute is spending a lot of mana. So I guess I'm envisioning I have like two or three Corpses of the Lost in play so that every case of the stash Skeleton is actually like a four power haste menace creature that my opponent actually has to spend a card on. Then it gets super powerful, but everything else feels like it's a little bit too much. It's just asking too much.
0: Also worth noting, this triggers Corpses of the Lost um, at the end of all that, right? You stack this to Demonic Tutor. At the end of the turn, you actually get Corpses of the Lost comes back to your hand. So th- th- that's like an incredible value package.
1: Okay. That is kind of true. Triggers fatal push as well. That's interesting. All right. So that is some examples of how the suspected mechanic works. And you'll notice that in all of our discussion, suspected just like didn't really come up, right? (laughs) They just slap it on the skeleton, but I, I don't think that it actually makes a big difference. More flavor. So flavorfully, the next mechanic is detective tokens. And these are just tokens. They're 2-2 two, two, white and blue creature tokens, but many cards create them. Drag the Canal is the cleanest example. Its blue-black instant creates a 2-2 white and blue detective creature token. So you can see that even though the card itself is demure colors, the detective tokens are always Azorius colors. at instant speed is not worth that much. However, this has essentially a a morbid clause. So if a creature died this turn, in addition to your detective, you also gain 2 life, and you surveil 2, and you investigate. So drag the canal cast when a creature has died is a ton of value. A 2-2 that surveils 2, investigates, and gains 2 life at instant speed is nuts. Well, nuts, quote-unquote.
0: Yeah, how, how to make sure we can always trigger it though, right? If our opponent doesn't have creatures, playing Fatal Push and, and Doomblade, that's not going to help us. So, I don't think this is actually a great main deck card for control decks, because what if your opponent doesn't have creatures? It's bad in the mirror. Just a 2-mana two 2-2 two, two instant is not close to playable. There aren't that many creatures we want to play that prospectively put themselves in the graveyard. I guess you could deadly dispute a creature into this, but... I mean, you're, that's a lot of spin in your wheels as well. So I don't know what the right home for this is. This is a great card with Snapcaster Mage. You could imagine it being in your graveyard. Snapcaster Mage flashes in to block a creature, targets the canal, you know, whatever, blocks the solitude, and then at the end you get to drag the canal with just tons of value there. We don't have Snapcaster Mage in the format, so yes, Black has removal. Uh, Fatal Push is the cheapest, most efficient, best removal in Pioneer. Um, but if your opponent doesn't play creatures, then Drag the Canal doesn't do anything. So, I think it's a super cool card. I think it's a super powerful card, but it's just so conditional.
1: If I were a reactive control deck and I just have the opportunity to flash this in to make it end step two two and, and start my clock, essentially, how big of a disaster is that?
0: I think it's a huge one. One of the advantages control decks. I think. I think control decks huge advantage is they play all these cards that turn off the removal of the opponent right like if i'm playing blue black i like it because my opponent's fatal pushes don't do anything my opponent's stomps don't do anything well now they do now they just actually trade for a card or in bone crusher giant's case trade for half a card so i think if you aren't turning this on then it's actually really bad for a control deck to just flash in a 2-2 you don't win by damage you have to win the game the control way where you get to six or seven mana and player shark typhoon or whatever torrential gear hulk also there isn't going to be blue black control anymore we'll get to the card that eliminates it as an entire archetype so this is a blue black mid-range card if it's anything so we have to decide if we want to play blue black mid-range you will for sure play four fatal push Mm. i am really looking for a creature that helps me set up this drag the canal by itself a blood tithe harvester light creature that could do it at instant speed. Blood Tithe is only sorcery speed, it's a third color, and it doesn't actually help if your opponent isn't playing creatures. There's nothing for it to target, so...
1: Seems like Drag the Canal works best in a cat oven-style engine. Like something, a one-mana creature that just puts itself in the graveyard. This does make two game objects, right? It's the detective and the clue token, so if you're going to be a bargain deck, which doesn't exist, <laughs> if you're going to be a de- deadly dispute deck... This is on theme, but that'll be kind of a a weird way to build your Cat Oven deck.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you're, like, down the right road, though. I think you have to play this card with Deadly Dispute or Cat Oven or something like that. The bargain. But, like, you don't want to play the four mana bargain tutor to tutor this. I mean, now you're paying four mana for it, right? It's not not worth it, so... (laughs)
1: All right. Next mechanic is a returning mechanic. Uh, no surprise here. Investigate is back. Investigate creates clue tokens, and not only does do we get a bunch of cards that investigate, but we also get the clue subtype just slapped onto various cards. Much like we've seen, like Gingerbrute is a creature that is also a food. We see in this set some artifacts that just like happen to also be clues in addition to everything else. So they have the ability to pay to. Sack them and draw a card at some point in the game. And that's always kind of interesting. I think we we talked about one of those, the Lead Pipe, in our early first look episode. But Investigate, I mean, this is always a favorite.
0: There's a whole cycle of those uh, cards for the Lead Pipe. So there's a white 1-mana one, 1, there's a blue 1-mana 1, mana one. Uh, there's a red 1-mana one, 1, and a green 1-mana one, 1. So if you're interested in playing... Uh, equipment that can also sacrifice for a card and have some minor upsides, you have a choice. I think they're all starting to be fun cards Unlimited.
1: In terms of new ways to investigate, a bunch of new cards will investigate. Lazav, wearer of faces, is a one that's perhaps worth a look. Blue and a black for a legendary creature, shapeshifter detective. Okay, so Lazav has taken his talents to the precinct. He's now trying to crack the case. It's a 2-3 creature this time. Whenever Lazav, wearer of faces, attacks, exile target card from a graveyard. So any card from any graveyard. And then investigate. So that's kind of neat. It's a little bit of a graveyard trespasser type clause. Whenever you attack, you are creating a resource that's making a clue for yourself, and you're doing some graveyard hate. On top of all that, Lazav says whenever you sacrifice a clue, you may have Lazav become a copy of a creature card exiled with it, until end of turn. So it's a temporary clone, but essentially, you know, on on a subsequent turn, if Lazav has attacked, exiles some creature from a graveyard, you can then crack the clue, mid-combat even, uh, to turn Lazav into the thing that it it exiled for the rest of the turn.
0: Yeah, I mean, is it just a two mana, two, three that accrues value every attack? Um, As long as there's a target, as long as there's a card in the graveyard. This seems worth it to me. I think that second ability is more just like flavor text. Mm-hmm. I don't think you want to like build your deck around trying to put some like big boom boom in the graveyard. The previous Lazav you know we've tried to do various things versus copying uh Kroksa or Uro or things like that. Um, I do think you want to remember you can attack with this and get its trigger exile and then you can sack the clue. Um, so you still get the, the clue each time you attack before you turn it into whatever your bone crusher giant or whatever.
1: Hmm. Huh. So apart from any kind of synergy thing...
0: Yeah, I think no synergy at all. Just two mana card. You can play in your blue-black mid-range deck that we're postulating here. And it (laughs) attacks a graveyard against Phoenix is a cheap threat against blue-white control, which is going to be the best deck in the format by a huge margin. Um, And just just a value card. Survive Stomp. Just kind of does everything you want it to do.
1: Yeah, everything except having an ETB. So in that sense, the graveyard trespasser... Is a little bit more of a guaranteed, uh, guaranteed quote-unquote, two-for-one, we could say, because um, it's got that ward, and you're always going to get your life and your first exile. All right, last up, Surveil is back. Uh, this is a welcome addition, in, in my opinion. I'm a known Surveil apologist. Surveil seems to be, I don't know, replacing Scry? Or maybe this is just for this one set only, because Surveil very, very nicely sets up the collect evidence mechanic. But they're giving us a whole bunch of surveil cards. Even the rare land cycle is just the, the temple cycle, the tap lands that scry one when they come into play. Exact same cycle, except now instead of scry one, they surveil one. And then on top of that, they have the basic land types. So a commercial district is a mountain forest, ETB tapped, taps for red or green, and when it an ETBs, you surveil one. The first time these lands were around, around, people somehow calculated that the scry was worth 0.14 cards. Each one was like 1.14 cards. And Surveil is worth more than that. I haven't run the numbers on it myself. <laughs> so these are slow but valuable lands.
0: Yeah, in modern, because of the fetch land mana base means you could probably play one. Just as a if you're going to play a tap land and you aren't needing to fetch a triome because of your mana base. It's nice to just have that extra fixing. Uh, There are decks that have graveyard synergies that might want to play more. Um, In Pioneer, obviously a little difficult because you'd have to play a bunch of them if you want them. Playing tap lands is really bad. The Triomes get play in decks that want to play Binding. Um, But I don't think these are better than the Triomes, even with the Surveil, because the extra type is very relevant to the Binding and your fixing. So I would guess that very little of these will be played in Pioneer and probably one in al- in almost every two-color deck in Modern.
1: Oh, you think that they're that strong, that every two-color deck in Modern wants access to the Surveil one?
0: I mean, you know, the, assuming that they're playing a fetchland mana base, I wouldn't say at least, uh, I, w- I would guess that that's the case. Okay. Comes into play tapped is actually, like, not a big deal for Titan either, right? Like...
1: Interesting. Yeah, I guess if we think of them as like a Mystic Sanctuary type effects that you can now turn your fetch lands into a manipulating the top of your library, maybe that is just like worth it.
0: Yeah, Surveil not always better than Scry, but almost always better than Scry is the other thing too, right? It's, it's, in certain decks, you only have like so many win conditions, you don't want to actually have to surveil it away if it's on top. Yeah, um, But, you know, this very corner case scenario, almost always surveil is better than Scry.
1: So I'm wondering if we, if we take a deck like uh, here, I'm thinking of a slower format. Um, So pioneer where you're going to be playing these lands plus the check lands, the check for basic land types. So kind of like how Enigmatic or Niv have built their, their mana bases in the past mix of fast and slow. What do I get from having like eight or 10 lands in my deck have surveil one, right? Is that enough to support like a delirium base or a collect evidence base? Or am I still, like, not quite there yet?
0: I mean, that seems really light to me, but you are always adventurous with these kind of things, and <laughs> sometimes they're a little more accessible than I, I give them credit for. So, unfortunately, I think we're going to have to find out the hard way <laughs> where we build a deck and find out it's, like, wildly unfunctional or more functional than we think. I I, I just, I, I can't do it in my head. I, I'd have to look at, like how they play out like i think of tap lands as a huge uh a huge negative a huge resource strain and so you have to get a lot back for it but you you might be able to do that
1: i mean the thing that i really want i just want someone to give me permission is i want to build that enhanced surveillance deck that's the one in a blue enchantment whenever you surveil boost it by two what if these things surveilled three or even five every time they came into play I actually built this deck in modern. It was terrible, but, <laughs> but I did have some cool sequences. The problem was that like, I had to have surveil enablers like drag rage Channeler, or I had to be paying a lot of mana for otherworldly gaze. What if I didn't have to do that? What if my, my lands just did that. And then I just have a totally stocked graveyard at all times. It'd be beautiful. Like, I actually think that that might be a thing. I have no idea what the payoff is yet, but enhanced surveillance like was, was not bad actually. um, and if I can just, like, build a slow reactive deck around that in Pioneer with, like, 8 or 10 or even 12 of these lands as my my actual way to get Surveil to happen, uh, I'm interested.
0: Yeah, you should definitely try it. I mean, I don't want to play this deck, but I do want to hear about how it is. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, so I think that's it for Mechanics. So what remains is for us to just power through the rest of the cards, going in order of ascending mana cost. We'll get through as many as we can in this episode, and I'm guessing we'll have to come back and do a second installment. This time around, there are almost zero lands, is that right? Zero lands of note, besides these um, surveil lands, so we can go straight to the ones.
0: Let's start with the case of the Forsaken Feast. So this is one white mana, enchantment case. Whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, you gain a life. So it is um, a soul sister uh, for the people who are older. To solve, you have to gain at least five life this turn. And then in the solve state, you may sacrifice the case, colon. Creatures in your graveyard gain. You can cast this card from your graveyard until end of turn. So the payoff is actually kind of interesting here. You, you get to you know possibly draw three or four cards equivalently. Um, there is a deck right now in the format that uses <laughs> Soul Sisters. That is the Amalia deck. Um, is this better than any of the options? I don't know that. But it's at least a card to consider because it kind of combines them. It's a Soul Sister in the front half. And then the back half is kind of like the Convoke card that brings the cards out of the graveyard. And you'd only have to pay 4 mana The sacrifice this for free to, um, like, when you do the Amalia combo, you get up to you gain, you know, a bunch of life. That turns on your case, the Forsaken Feast, you don't have to do anything. They have to kill your Amalia, right? Or they or they die, they kill Amalia, then the next turn you sacrifice this for no mana, and you bring back Amalia, and you bring back your 1-3, and you bring back your, you know, 1-1 one, one that um, explores, right? And you do it again. So it's sort of But it's also, you know, so it kind of does both. It's a bit of a soul sister and it also can do sort of the the convoke return your, your combo to play.
1: Yeah, for me, this is a miss. It just takes so long to actually get the actual card off of this, the solved state. Like, I actually don't know how long it would take me to gain five life. And in the meantime, all I'm getting is my soul warden effect. And that itself has not really been good enough in Pioneer like the Voice of the blessed type deck with Lunarch Veteran or whatever. There's just like not quite enough stuff. Uh, Trellisara, Moondancer. I don't think that the Amalia deck itself... Want. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. It's like Innkeeper is already doing this job better, so I don't think that we're going to be like adding Case of the Forsaken Feast to the deck.
0: But I could be wrong. I mean, I think that the the one mana white creature that they play is way worse than this, that like comes back for one and a white. Really? You think that's worse? So, yeah. The card's freaking terrible. Innkeeper's awesome, but that card is garbage. This is just that that doesn't die to removal. It's resistant to sweepers, etc.
1: Interesting. Okay, so you're replacing Lunar-, Lunar Veteran.
0: Yeah. If you really just want to gain 5 life, we have a 2 and a green 3-3 three, three Dinosaur. When it comes into play, you can pay a green to disenchant, gain 4 life, or exile a graveyard. So the 4 life plus the 1 life from Case of the Forsaken Feast, that does it all by itself. So we, we've got actually pretty trivial ways to gain the life. Um, if it's if that's what you want to do. I, I kind of agree with you, Dan. At the end of that, you're going to rebuy your 3-3 dinosaur. That's not that exciting. But it's actually kind of easy to turn this on. There, there's, a, there's the 2 green-green 4-4 green, four, four that gains 4 life when it comes into play. And if it, someone makes you discard it, you get to put it in play for free. Um, that's a card you can play. So you, there's multiple green creatures that just do this without having to do anything special, just as a come into to play effect.
1: Hmm. Nice. All right, next up, a quick shout-out to my boy, the Rubble Belt Maverick. It's a green for a 1-1 one, one Human Detective ETB Surveil 2. It also has the ability to exile itself from the graveyard to put a plus-1, one, plus-1 one counter on something. David marked this for skipping, but this is actually the only one drop that surveils like this. 2 is, like, so close. If it surveilled 3, I would be like, this card is amazing. But my crabvine brain is saying that, you know, you you can't just immediately lump this in with the mill 2, mill 3 effects, which are actually pretty weak. Um, Like, the black one drops that just mills 2 is garbage. But surveilling 2 means you can plausibly just keep this on a 1-lander and know that you have the ability to, like, top a land if necessary. Two is like almost there. I'm ready for the next evolution of this card that surveils three, and then I'm all in.
0: In a Crabbine shell or in other types of shells?
1: In any type of shell. Yeah, any type of graveyard deck. I guess my main point is that surveil is way, way better than Blind Mill for decks like that. Um, And we haven't really seen enough surveil cards for that to be like widely incorporated yet into deck building. I guess only Crabvine tries to do it, but I've just been amazed at how much stronger it is, how how strong Surveil is at, like, hit, sequencing your first land drops. Uh, all right, moving on down the one-drops. What's next, David?
0: All right, Felonious Rage. One red for an instant. Target creature you control gets plus two, plus O, oh, and haste until end of turn. And then when that creature dies, create a 2-2 two, two white-blue detective creature token. So we don't really have, you know, I think in modern there's the red sorcery target creature gets plus three plus o and haste and then I think it flashes back for three mana. That effect does not exist um, in Pioneer. So this is one of the only cheap ways to grant haste and a power bonus and it will reward you if that creature trades in battle or if it's already going to die. So this does a lot that's unique. Um, giving you a 2-2 body back is actually kind of, a lot it's you know, almost like giving undying dying to a cheap creature because it's probably got a similar body size um so yeah I, I can't think of a deck specifically i don't know that like red white heroic wants this but uh it's kind of cool it's cool with the um the one three wizard that casts a spell for free from your graveyard that has less power than it right you play that you play this to give it haste
1: oh interesting um, okay
0: you can flash back a, a three a three power creature if it trades in combat, right, they, they block that with their bone crusher giant, you get a 2-2 two, two back. Uh, I don't I don't know if there's a thing there or not, but it's it, it's a unique effect in Pioneer.
1: My concern is that we're almost never gonna get full value quote unquote off the card. Um, like you're not gonna get the plus two plus one haste and have that matter and then also have the creature dying and becoming a two-two detective. It's just very unlikely that all that will happen at once. I think you're going to have to content yourself with just getting one or one and a half of these effects every time you cast Felonious Rage. Um, and I mean, it's cool that the card does all of
0: this. Yeah, that's, that's probably true.
1: I would like to make a case for the case of the Filched Falcon, David. So this is blue enchantment case, ETB investigate. Solve it by controlling three or more artifacts. And then in the solve state, you may pay two in a blue, sacrifice the case of the Filched Falcon, To put four plus one plus one counters on target non-creature artifact, it becomes a flying bird, in addition to its other types. We have here plenty of game objects, right? You get a blue enchantment that makes a clue. So you're card neutral at that point, and you've accumulated another blue pip towards your Nykthos deck or something like that. If you ever solve this, which doesn't seem that hard, honestly, like controlling three or more artifacts it's not an efficient play but you now have the ability to like turn the case into a four four flyer while you still have your clue i, I kind of like all of this right like i'm picturing either like a mono blue deck with um like witching well type stuff where you're just trying to accumulate blue pips and maybe you have something like uh i mean, there's all all kinds of blue effects unless you pick up your blue permanence and like recast them Or even something like Blue, White, and Soul, where, you know, this provides two towards Machiko's Reign of Truth. And then, you know, it's another threat after they kill the first clue. Like, maybe you you lead on Case of the Filch Falcon and Soul it up or play Machiko's Reign, turn two. Eventually, you just get another 4-4 waiting in the wings.
0: Yeah, the interaction with Machiko's is worth noting because you do get an artifact and a creature there. The fact that you have to pay three mana on the back end is so much. Like, this is not an aggressive card. Because you have to basically pay four to get your in soul. So it, it's like you're playing a mid range version of the urine soul deck for some reason.
1: Well, I would play this over like the, the ghost fire blade slot, right? It's instead of pumping a creature, I'm investing in my future success with
0: <laughs> making a clue, which you say is immediately card neutral if you pay two more mana. Yes, then we've replaced ourselves itself, but we can't ever sacrifice it because we need to have the three artifacts in play.
1: Well, it's an artifact enabler for my unsoul that is also an additional copy of unsoul later. That's that's what I mean, right? Like four four flying is actually quite significant, right? Yes, it costs three, but at that point in the The game, the flying the flying
0: is very relevant. I I totally agree that the flying is very relevant. Yeah, maybe it's better than I think. It just the three mana at the back end and giving you just a clue at the beginning is is pretty tough. Hmm. And like blue white control just has exile effects. So that's the other problem. Like, blue-white control is going to be the best deck in the format, and it's going to just house decks like this.
1: Well, it's either blue-white or it's Phoenix. It can't be both, right? What if blue-white is not the best deck? I mean, it's bad it's if It's not going to be Phoenix. ...temporary locked on your stuff, but... <laughs> I thought you just said Phoenix was going to be the best deck. So it's going to
0: be bad. <laughs> Let me... No? No, no. I said blue-white control is going to be the best deck. We're not going to be seeing a lot of Phoenix, unfortunately, okay. or fortunately, if you like or don't like it.
1: Next up, pick your poison, green sorcery. Choose one. Each opponent sacrifices an artifact. Each opponent sacrifices an enchantment. Each opponent sacrifices a creature with flying. That's very cheap for a charm.
0: Yeah, a super useful, super powerful cyborg card, especially in modern. I actually think it's very good because it destroys the ring, uh, which is
1: oh yes. something that like
0: most cards can't do, and it does it incredibly efficiently. Because it's a sacrifice effect, it gets around Indestructible, it can blow up Urza Saga, it can kill Merktide Regent. Um, and that's a lot for a one mana card to do.
1: Yeah, if you, if you Stone Rain their Urza Saga with this, <laughs> like, that's amazing. Did not realize that it takes out the One Ring, so very neat little design here. What about in Pioneer? I know you've been high on Dramoka's Command. Does this also pass the bar?
0: No, this seems way worse to me. Um, there's even like treasures a lot of times, so it can't actually hit Copter, which is basically the only artifact that sees play in the format. Um, it is okay against Lockdown, but it's a sorcery, so you can't ever do it in response to the trigger. And then the deck that plays Flying Creatures has Phoenixes in play, and making them sacrifice that instead of their Bird Advisor is uh, is really bad. So I actually think this card is... Like basically stone unplayable in Pioneer and very good in Modern, so it kind of shows. I, I like that. That's kind of cool. Like the way that the formats are set up, the this very interesting card just interacts with them very differently.
1: All right. Any other one drops? Or should we move on to the twos?
0: I think we're on to the twos, baby. <laughs> All
1: right. We move on to Aftermath Analyst. One in a green creature elf detective. When Aftermath Analyst enters the battlefield, mill three cards, into it's 1-3. Mill three cards, that's very good. Not as good as surveilling three cards, but <laughs> milling three is, like, good enough. What do you do with these cards? Well, for three and a green, sacrifice Aftermath Analyst. Return all land cards from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. That's splendid reclamation, but now on a creature that also sets you up by milling three cards.
0: Yeah, this card just seems really good to me. Um... It's a body, it survives Stomp, it can block, you know, against whatever, Convoke if that's still a deck. And then, in the late game, yeah, it's just a Splendid Reclamation, but it's a Splendid Reclamation that at least tries to make itself better, right? It can pump the Reclamation by three random cards. Uh, i have one of the few people that's cast a Splendid Reclamation in Pioneer uh, uh, this year, or whatever, in 2023, probably, so I'm excited to play with this card. I... I'm guessing it won't get there, but this card is super cool. It's it's super powerful, super interesting. What you're going to do with those lands is interesting, so yeah, lots of questions to be answered.
1: So the Mill 3 will hit, let's say, one land, maybe two if you're lucky. By the time you hit four mana, you now have the threat of ramping one or two lands. Are you going to go beyond that? Are you going to play like I was going to say Evolving Wilds, Fatal Passage, or whatever the new one is from this set? That improves on that are you going to like play extra lands that put themselves in your graveyard
0: um probably so I don't think you want to think of this as a ramp card on turn 4 because we already just have 4 mana cards that ramp twice on 4 you don't need to play this card mm-hmm. I think you want it to be like part of a combo finish right so I'm thinking of like the BTL deck I played with that black creature that triggered every time a swamp came into play for instance Um, that type of effect is, is what you're going to want. Okay. And so that deck had a few of the capenna fetches. Uh, I don't know what any of them are called, but like they come into play, they immediately stack themselves, you gain a life and it fetched one of three basic lands.
1: Right. Right. What about a deck like just straight up Lotus field combo? It's not a horrible play on turn two blocks put the land or two in the bin. Eventually, your Lotus Field will put more lands in the bin. If they attack the Lotus Field angle, um, you can just ramp naturally with this, starting on turn four, get three or four lands back.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's maybe a sideboard juke. The problem is the deck is so built around having an active Lotus Field. If they have Damping Sphere or whatever, it doesn't matter if you have all the other lands in play. Like, your combo turns don't work. Hmm. Right? You do your draw three, discard two, untap two, lands. If you don't actually have Lotus Field making extra mana, that card doesn't do anything. It doesn't lead up to your... It doesn't function as a ramp spell. So unless you have a whole Juke uh, sideboard plan, I don't think this would work that well for Lotus Field.
1: Okay. One other concept. Um, I mean, I'm intrigued by the ability that this is actually just straight up better than Splendor Reclamation because of the mill three. Given that is it worth trying to reduce the cost on the activation and just like really aggressively do this over and over again? Like you have options for paying the three and a green more cheaply with training grounds or enigma jewel or something like that. Like Can we turbo this
0: possible? I mean, I'm liking it with the one, the one black green guy that mills three and returns a two mana creature to play. Um, plus one, untap a creature. Minus two, mill three, return a creature of two mana CMC to, into play. Tyvar. And gives all creatures haste. That's right. So again, that's a mill car that has synergy with this. Um, yeah, I, li- I like that a lot. So yeah, I'm going to kind of want to like, I'm going to have to look at some of my shells. You know, I played, yeah, I played that in, in like a, a bunch of salt eye shells with the, um, the 3-3 that comes into play in mills three. And if it's a creature, you uh, add a 2-2 zombie to play. I think you just move away from that angle. You don't need to play creatures or whatever. And you can just build your deck around like comboing around the lands themselves.
1: I like the sound of that. I mean, this this card seems fun. None of these decks currently exist. And that's part of what makes it so intriguing. Um, new fun space to play in. So kudos to whoever designed this card. I didn't really realize how much potential it had when I first saw it, but I'm liking the sound of everything you're saying.
0: Yeah, there's just lots of like two, three le- leagues you get to play. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Precisely. Next up, assemble the players, one in a white enchantment. You may look at the top card of your library at any time. Once each turn, you may cast a creature spell with power two or less from the top of your library. So this is a very, very cheap way to get access to that uh, future sight effect, which granted, I know that I overrate this. But it's never been so cheap, right? There's not even any hoops to jump through. You don't have to do anything to just get access to this. It's just pay two mana and you have it. That being said, it's limited to once a turn, so you can't go too nuts with it. Um, And you have to build your deck with a very, very high density of creature spells with power two or less. And it's power, not mana value. So what do you make of this, David?
0: So my first instinct was I want to play this card with a courser because then I can play land off the top of my deck, and I can play creatures off the top of my deck. So I functionally I'm just like churning through my deck. My second thought was, this is the kind of card you have in these like cocoa decks, right? And you bring in like grindier cards, right, for the control matchup or the mid range matchup. And this is one of a million of them, right? You can bring in planeswalkers, you can bring in Gideon, you can bring in, uh, you know, a tireless tracker. You can bring in Uh, a wedding announcement. Mm -hmm. Um, You can bring in Voice of Resurgence, like whatever you want to do to be resistant to removal, resistant to sweepers. I don't think this is better than any of those options. Even Coco decks, a lot of what makes Coco good is you can hit creatures that are three power, four power. I mean, two power creatures have to have very good coming to play abilities to be useful, right? So that often means that they're like value creatures. So you have this is generating value and it's only playing more value creatures, you know, two twos that draw cards and things like this. So I don't think you're putting enough of a clock on people when you're doing this. I think you're just generating a bunch of value, which you and I love, but you have the classic, like, you have five cards in hand and you're losing the game because Pioneer is not a fair format at all right now.
1: Okay, so you're saying that even if I built my deck in such a way that this is just a super powerful Turbo Howling mind slash Divination effect that is just going to draw me a card every other turn, or you have a note here about a flash deck where you could do it even your turn in their turn. Let's say I've built my deck in such a way that I'm really very very likely to use this as free creatures pretty often. You're saying that even that is like a cyborg only consideration. Like main deck games are not decided by this anymore. Like I couldn't just build around this main deck.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like for instance, blue white spirits. Blue White Spirits brings in Wedding Announcement, right? Which is a terrible card. Um, But you could play this instead. And because they have so many Flash cards, I don't know how many creatures they end up with in their deck. Because it isn't 30, to your point about every other. But because you have Flash creatures, and you can play the 2-1 that gives your um, Spirits Flash, then you're, you're maybe sometimes getting two cards in a cycle. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah sounds like a problem for a surveil to solve for my uh one one green guy <laughs> unlock the power of surveil and make sure i'm getting a creature. well yeah that, that's kind
0: of what i was thinking like and i mentioned the last that i was interested in kellen because kellen also removed creatures from the top of your deck and put it into your hand mm-hmm. um assemble the players is like a kellen that you know does it right away so I, and i do like the course also a two power creature um So if you really want to build, like, a grindy deck that draws a lot of cards, you can do that. But the thing is, like, how are you winning, right? The the format is just very unfair right now. So you'll beat red-black very easily, and you're going to play them once a league. So how are you going to beat all the other decks? You'll have to decide. (laughs) And unfortunately, two mana cards like this that get under counter spells are really bad because of uh, White's ability to just exile all permanents that cost two CMC or less. So this bankbuster these are not good ways to fight blue white control anymore they're already playing four um four ways to just exile it in their main deck not even counting the um the one in a white you know destroy creature or enchantment and and let somebody make two maps so it's it's like not a good card against blue white control they just have so many answers for it main deck not to mention post sideboard i mean get out of here with that
1: well, that sobering analysis applies to the next card that I was going to get hyped about. It's Connecting the Dots, one in a red enchantment. Whenever a creature you control attacks, exile the top card of your library face down. You can't look at that. So, this is basically Bomat Courier on an enchantment, but for whenever any of your creatures attack, you get to start putting cards face down under Connecting the Dots. Similar to Bomat Courier, you unlock this by paying one in a red discard in your hand, sacrificing Connecting the Dots to put all the cards exiled into their owner's hands you get a fresh hand of cards two men is already like pushing it and you're saying david that we just can't treat these cards as actual investments anymore They're just fra- enchantments are too fragile the deck you would want this against is already playing an answer to it
0: yeah i mean it still is going to be fine there it's not going to be bad and you know i'm a bowman courier hater you've played a lot of bowman courier you played it in standard you're always trying to put it in various pioneer shells do you like this more than Bomat Courier? Do you like having it on a creature that's like more fragile as a card advantage engine, but triggers itself? Or do you like this kind of card where maybe you go one drop, two drop, three drop. Instead of playing in their sweeper, I play connect the dots and maybe get two cards exiled. You know, with my, well, we just listed our prowess creatures earlier we we're going to play, right? The, the two one that flips or whatever. Like which play pattern is more attractive to you? Because you you like Bomat Courier. You played it a lot.
1: Well, Bumat Courier costs one. I mean, if this costs one to cast and one to sacrifice, then yes, I would I would probably like this one better, but I'm not even sure. That, then i will be close. This costs two to cast, two to sacrifice, so it's like 4,000% more expensive if my math is correct. It's just so expensive, and it really interrupts your curve to just play this at all. So I just don't think it's... Yeah, it's just not doing it for me. Um,
0: yeah, I don't think I'd ever play this on two. Yeah. no, no, no. I'd want to play it on like, you know, so I I think this is like the standard, like, um what was the three, a, you played a lot of this card too, three and a red enchantment you could only play off the top of your library.
1: Yeah, Experimental Frenzy. Yeah, I love that card.
0: Yeah, this is like Experimental Frenzy. It's functionally a four mana card that generates value, right? that That's how we should think of this. Not as a card that accrues value because you know, I play it on turn two and I attack with my Gilded Goose all game or whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> This is just like I already have some creatures in play. I don't want to play out my Wrath into any more of a sweeper, and I just play this instead and get like two cards exiled, and then they sweep, and then I play another Haste creature, and then they sweep again. The problem is that the sweeper is temporary lockdown, so I don't do anything at all.
1: Next up, Cryptex. Artifact 2. It's a mana rock, so a two-mana mana rock, but in order to unlock the mana, you have to tap Cryptex and Collect Evidence 3. So that's exile cards with total mana value 3 or greater from your graveyard every time you want to tap this. Then you get a mana of any color and you put an unlock counter on the Cryptex. When you have five or more unlock counters on Cryptex, you may sacrifice it to surveil three, then draw three cards. So the upside is there, right? I mean, we were talking about, uh, what was that new mana rock? from two sets ago, David, that was the first one ever um, at two mana. And you, you love that card. This could be that if we had infinite cards in our graveyard. And then on top of all that, you get this Surveil three, draw three attached to it. So the ceiling is very high. The floor is it just sits there doing nothing because you can't collect evidence.
0: Yeah, and even if you're generating collect evidence of some kind, like let's say you're able to tap at every turn, you're probably having to spend a mana or two right to put that three cmc card in the graveyard (laughs) so even if it's even if you're cycling a, a three mana card every turn for one mana that just means cryptex is breaking even right it's just letting you cycle for free if you want to think of it that way um and eventually it's giving you some value back so it's hard to think of it as a card that takes you from two to four unless you're always cycling something on one um and yeah, without like proliferate or something, to get all the way to the fifth counter. But it, it, exactly like you say, the, the payoff is incredible. If you, if you got to somehow do the thing every turn where this was a mana rock that turns into three cards in the late game, it would be the best mana rock ever printed. But doing all those things is so complicated.
1: All right. Next up, Galvanize, one in a red instant, three damage to target creature. If you've drawn two or more cards this turn, Galvanize instead deals five damage to that creature.
0: Yeah, so this is kind of an innocuous card. No one's really talked about two mana for three damage. We've seen it all over the place. But I think it's like better than a Braid. A Braid just kills. I mean, there's no artifacts to kill. I mean, it's a very, very few. um, What's the uh, chariots? Other than that. Copter takes three damage, so destroying the artifact doesn't do anything there. It's easy to draw a second card. There's just a bunch of cards that do it. If you want to fable, if you want to cycle, if you want to play a card that draws when it comes to play, if you want to play a looter. And as soon as you do that, this is just removal that's good early, kills anything on two basically, and then it's good late. It kills shield red, it kills a pumped up uh, ledger shredder. Um, I I think this card is at least just worth thinking about, especially in blue-red, because they're playing opt and consider.
1: So the difference between three and five, we're mainly looking at just those two creatures, right? Red and Shredder. Are there other creatures where that's a meaningful distinction?
0: Um, enigmatic Incarnation, you know, hmm. is going to flip up four four toughness creatures and five toughness creatures very frequently. You know, that's not a common deck. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's basically it.
1: Yeah, the green Cavalier is gone, so five versus six is not a big deal um bull well, it's still, troll. still
0: legal in the format just very unlikely to see it these days
1: well i, mean, I don't know i mean that new ley line is four devotion pips so
0: <laughs> could be
1: but yeah neat little card unlikely to crack it but it's better than it looks i think you're right about that all right what's next
0: Um, homicide investigator one in a black for a human detective whenever one or more non-token creatures you control die investigate this ability triggers only once each turn. So I do like that this card triggers off itself. And I do like that it triggers as we cycle through our cat oven um, cycle. Now, does that deck ever want the extra value or would it always prefer to just kill them? Uh, I don't know, but the fact that you play it, they basically can't get rid of it without giving you value. That's at least something.
1: Okay, I did not realize that it had triggered off itself. That's quite attractive. You have to take everything I say about clues with a major grain of salt. In my head, we're going to find some brew where clues are better than cards, right? Where like, the game object of an artifact is actually so desirable because we've <laughs> discovered a hidden affinity to a mechanic, or we've made improvise the best mechanic ever, or who knows what it is, or Herald of Anguish is perfectly positioned. And then just the ability to like make infinite clues is suddenly so good. And that has never happened. It's probably never going to happen. But that's just how I think. So just understand that whenever I'm talking about any kind of clue card, like there's, there's that new curiosity in this set that instead of drawing a card, it makes clues. And I'm like, oh, that's got to be nuts, right? <laughs> that's way better than drawing cards. And I think David's like, no, we're not talking about that. Same thing here is investigate... Better than drawing a card? Of course not. But in my head, it is. And this is, like, one of the best ways to do that. Alright, we move on. Long Goodbye.
0: Long Goodbye. One in a black instant, this spell can't be countered destroy target creature or planeswalker with mana value 3 or less. So they basically powercraft eliminate, which is only, like, 6 sets old or something. Um, This comp- card compares poorly to abrupt decay, except for it just requires black. Are there permanents that this hits that the other two mana instant spells don't not really because there aren't any three mana planeswalkers right now that you care to kill. So this is just basically a card that's going to target creatures. Yes, it's good against the um cards with ward, but there aren't that many of those running around either. So I actually don't think this card is particularly good and I just find it a very interesting card that they printed.
1: Yeah, if eliminate doesn't see any play This will not see play either. We can eliminate this from consideration. but (laughs) Counter spells, however, are becoming more relevant in Pioneer, especially with the printing of this next one, No More Lies. White-blue instant. Counter target spell unless its controller pays three. So that's straight up mana leak if that spell is countered this way, exile it instead of putting it into its owner's graveyard. It's like, what the hell, man? Like <laughs> I thought we weren't going to play this. I thought we were not going to print Mana Leak anymore. But now you get Mana Leak plus Upside, but only for Blue-White. What what happened here? Why is this... Why did this make it through?
0: I I don't know. This card is incredibly powerful. This is the best card in the set, I think, by a huge margin. And it, it's going to have like seismic effects on the format. The Blue White Deck was already playing uh, a bunch of two mana counter spells that are significantly worse than this. And um, was already one of the best decks in the format. I think right now, if you look on MTG Goldfish, it's like number two ranked in terms of good finishes. This card's just incredible, right? The normal way that you play around counter spells is you punish them, like they have to hold up all this mana. Mm-hmm. Well. <laughs> How are you going to do that because now blue white threats are all at instant speed or they play Teferi and it gives you the 2-mana back immediately. Okay, so I'm going to try to go under them. Well, they get to play a 3-mana enchantment that hits all permanent types, right? So Bankbuster isn't good against them. That's the huge difference between blue-white control and blue-black control. Bankbuster on turn 2 just beats blue-black. That's why red-black is one of the worst matchups for it. Blue-white has a good matchup against red-black because red-black can't just play Bankbuster, can't just play Fable or whatever. All their cheap creatures get exiled, uh, including Croxa. The graveyard is not is better attacked in blue-white because of Rest in Peace, so it's a better deck against Phoenix. And now it has the best counterspell, and the exile clause is very relevant in the mirror uh, against Memory Deluge. It's very good in the mirror when they hardcast their Phoenix, um, or if there's other threats that you are hoping to recur, you know, whatever... I, I don't know what those are. Um, scrap heap scrounger or something. Uh, yeah, this this card is inc- incredible. It's it's incredibly powerful. Um, I, I think blue white's going to be the best card, best deck in the format by a, a huge margin.
1: Yeah, one of the other ways that you fight against blue white control is you just accept that they're going to one for one you, but you're at least accumulating resources in your graveyard. Maybe you've got something that has recursion, or maybe you're going to you know, do a, something with Delirium later or something with Collect Evidence later. It's just such a kick in the nuts to have it exile your card. Like, that that pisses me off so much as not just as a graveyard enthusiast and someone who doesn't, like, blue-white control, but it's like, why, why? Why are we doing all this at the same time? Like, that that's very annoying. So, shame on you, whoever designed this. <laughs> uh, I don't know what the counterplay is. Uh, I guess maybe I need to build a long goodbye deck so that they can't stop me from destroying their shark typhoon token or whatever. <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know.
0: I think that the best deck against blue white control is spirits. I, I, it's just like, these are the two decks is just, I hate playing against. I mean, spirits I respect. It's a cool deck, but it happens to match up well against the kind of decks I build. Blue white control is just, it's just going to be those two decks are, are going to be really awesome obviously you can play your cavern deck but the blue white deck is playing like multiple demolition fields so yeah the whole thing just feels kind of depressing honestly i'm trying not to be like too down about it there's other cool cards in the set but like this is so powerful it's such a good card it's crazy uh, like how good it is and it's crazy that blue white control is already on the ascent right it was kind of moved from a tier two to a tier one deck so i'm hoping i'm wrong
1: Next up, Prof's Eidetic Memory, one in a blue legendary enchantment. When Prof's Eidetic Memory enters the battlefield, draw a card. You have no maximum hand size. So that, that's great for my commander deck. Beginning of combat on your turn, if you've drawn more than one card this turn, put X plus one plus one counters on target creature you control, where X is the number of cards you've drawn this turn minus one. Okay, so functionally, it, ETB replaces itself. Right, So you're going to do a one-drop on turn one, you're going to play this turn two, cantrip, now you've met the conditions. So you attack with your one-drop, profs, identity memory, checks how many cards you've drawn, you've drawn two, so you get to put one counter on your thing. Is that worth it? I mean, is this an exciting play pattern, or is this just like a lot of text for not much benefit?
0: I think this card is awesome. This is like a combination spirited companion, because it kind of gives you one power, if you will, and a card. We have to have a one-drop in play to absorb the counter, etc. But then it's also like a Luminarch Aspirant, where it can give you plus one, plus one counters at least one, if not more, Mm. a turn if you feed it, right? So Hmm. let's just imagine turn one Thraben Inspector. They're not going to... fatal push that. They're going to do something else. You play this. Now I pump my Thraben Inspector attack. Minimum, I can always sack my clue, get another plus one, plus one counter out of my Thraben Inspector... You don't even have to attack with a creature, by the way. It's just at the beginning of combat. Um, Another card this is good with is all of the various looters. So, um, you know, any Jace, the the 1-3 that untaps when you play a legendary card, which this is, by the way. So let's just say you have the 1-3, you loot, you play this, you loot again, and at the beginning of combat, you actually put three counters on your 1-3. What's the name of the card, Dan? I'm forgetting it. But anyway, just that just that combination where this is this is adding three power that turn. And you're looting, which you love, so stuff's moving to all kinds of zones.
1: But Arcanist, is that the card you're talking about? The one three that
0: Ah, no, it transforms. I'm on it here. Rona. Rona,
1: that's it. Okay. Gotcha.
0: Yeah, so you play Rona on two, let's just imagine it lives. Humor me. Tap it, draw a card, play this, untap Rona, loot again. So you've got three extra cards. So this is coming into play. It's replacing itself, and it's adding three power. If you already played a Thraven Inspector on turn one, you can actually pump the Inspector. So now you've got a huge Thraven Inspector and a Rona. Which one do they want to kill, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I love this card. I think it's really interesting. Uh, I love getting paid off for drawing, which is what I want to do anyway. Um, okay.
1: All right, so there's more going on here than initially meets the eye. I just kind of stopped reading it. You have no maximum hand size because that told me that this card is not for me. I like this is for <laughs> reliquary tower enthusiasts, but I guess if it's both a spirit companion <laughs> and an aspirant, I should take a closer look. Um, yeah, that that legendary line with Rona uh, was definitely not thinking in those terms. All right, I think maybe we'll just do a couple more twos and then we'll stop for this edition. So just moving on quickly to Pyrotechnic Performer, it's one and a red Vyashino assassin, a 3-2 with disguise red. So disguise meaning you have the ability to play this face down as a 2-2 war 2 for 3 mana. And then you undisguise it for a single red. So that's a 4 mana investment total. When pyrotechnic performer or another creature you control is turned face up, that creature deals damage equal to its power to each opponent. So your your front end is just like a 3-2. For two with no abilities, but your powered up end is four mana for a three, two that hit them three to the face. And then it stacks, right? If you happen to have like multiples of this in play, uh, you're dealing three, six, nine for future copies of Pyrotechnic Performer or uh, that Fugitive cobreaker that we talked about.
0: Yeah, I actually kind of like this card. Uh, you know, I don't like the morph mechanic, I don't like the skies, but. The fact that the uh, the backside, the morph side, has ward is kind of cool because you actually want to pump it before you flip it, right? So we go turn one elf, we go turn two this face down. Hard to kill it, right? They can't stomp it. They need four mana to stomp it. Okay, so they play, uh, whatever, Blood Tithe Harvester. Now I have this card and I audacity it. I monstrous rage it. Okay, now it's got, whatever, plus... What is that five power? Now when I flip it up, I get sort of a berserk effect. I get to double all the effects of those pumping abilities, right? So it flips up at eight power, does eight to them, and now it's an eight whatever trample. Um I, I, you know, obviously we're Magic Christmas landing here, but you know, they don't kill your elf, and you have the pump spells and you have a creature to pump. But I think there's something there with this with this card.
1: Okay, so that that is an ability that just totally didn't even occur to me. I do tend to think of the unmorph or undisguise cost as just an ETB, but you're exactly right. It's it's not an ETB. And the rules <laughs> article explains this. The creature is still in play. It's got whatever bonuses you've already put onto it. So that's just like a line that is pretty slick, actually. So you're saying protecting it with ward, invest in your success by pumping the t- performer, and then undisguise it for just like a huge chunk to the face.
0: Or even like. There's a red-green mid-range shell, right? We know about that, the boat stack. I modified it and played the, the turtle. Again, this is a card that benefits from that werewolf pumping its power. So turn 1 elf, turn 2 werewolf, turn 3 this, pump its power up to 3-2 as the morph with ward, and then attack, and then flip it up, right? So it does 4. Now that's a minor uh, bonus, but that's just an inherent thing that you have. So that's all interesting to me. But yeah, anything you can think about in terms of pumping its power is berserky-ish uh, if you have this face down. And as you pointed out, if you find other cards that are possibly playable, um, now we haven't seen many of them. And even the the uh, guy that we liked earlier doesn't really fit in the kind of shell I'm talking about because you don't have that many prowess spells necessarily. But if we see more printed then this card gets more attractive. Because like you said, this, these stack. If we play the second one and pump its power and flip it, right? We, we get to do 8 damage. Okay, so that's Pyrotechnic Performer. We have a couple of 2 drops left. Um, next up, I just want to shout it out because it's a super cool flavor win, is Red Herring. Red Herring is 1 red Clue Fish. 2 to Haste. It has to attack each combat if able. And then you can just stack it to draw a card for 2 mana, just like any other Clue. So if as people know, or maybe if you're not a native English speaker, a red herring is like a fake clue that leads to the wrong conclusion. So, but this is also a red herring, a fish. <laughs> um, so yeah, these, these abilities are actually kind of cool. The two mana two, two hastes are, are actually pretty good and limited that have to attack every combat and you have to find ways to sacrifice them. Uh, so they don't just get thrown away. This actually just has a native ability to, to turn itself into a card at some point. So I do think this is, like, just off of being constructed playable because if you're playing with, like, um, Scooter, you can tap this when it's not good to attack with it. Like, you can always actually get out of the the quote-unquote negative.
1: It's a super cute card. Um, cute play on words. The type line is clue fish, which is, like, a very Dr. Seussian kind of line. This is actually the second mm-hmm. Magic card named Red Herring. They, um, yes. they printed... One of the fake playtest cards with this name, and then they just decided to just reuse the name, and I guess that's allowed now. I don't think this will actually see play oh. in Constructed, but it is a clue, and it has no. haste, so it's not terrible. But yes, we can do better now. <laughs> All right, next up, Sharp-Eyed Rookie. One in a green human detective for a 2-2 vigilance. Whenever a creature enters under your control, if its power is greater than Sharp-Eyed Rookie's power... Or its toughness is greater than Sharp Eyed Rookie's toughness, put a plus one plus one counter on Sharp Eyed Rookie and investigate. So, I mean, functionally, all that text is just the evolve mechanic, is that right? Whenever Sharp Eyed Rookie evolves, you investigate. Yes. So, do we like Evolve? I mean, is that good enough?
0: I thought evolve was pretty good. Um, You're going to probably at three mana want to play a creature with a three power or three toughness, right? You could play the two mana white green two three that doubles plus one plus one counters. So that turns this into a four four vigilance that investigates. And it kind of meets the the thing that Zach, uh, you know, who we miss uh, and I always love is we always want to build a Tarmogoyf that actually replaces itself. And so the fact that this is, like, kind of a beater, it's threatening, it's also a good blocker, mm. but it also turns into a card advantage engine, and um, th- that's attractive to me.
1: It's not so easy to keep evolving this. I don't know what that curve would even look like, but the fact that it just spits out clues for doing so, I like that.
0: I also like that Extraction Specialist gets this back and triggers other sharp-eyed rookies that might be in play, at least the first time.
1: Mm. Yeah, okay. All right.
0: This is also, like, a cool card with Shieldred. Shieldred happens to have a really big butt, so five. I mean, so you you can have your rookies get pretty big uh, while Shieldred is still, you know, a thing. And Shieldred pays you off for the card draw.
1: Okay, all right. (laughs) We're pairing the rookie with the proven vets. First trip on the beat.
0: But if you just think, like, this on two, this on two, Graveyard Trespasser on three, Mm -hmm. Shieldred on four... I mean, those are just, those are natural card curves.
1: Uh, all right. I mean, that, that sounds good, but yeah, I mean, that's just an interesting play pattern to the game. Like I'm going to go two drop, three drop, four drop. And what is my opponent doing during those turns? I guess it doesn't have to happen sequentially like that. Like in,
0: well, I'm assuming eventually they're, they're casting wrath of God and then we have two clues to show for all of our hard work. Exactly.
1: Alright, next up, Doorkeeper Thrall, one and a white. Flash flying for a 1-2 creature Thrall. Artifacts and creatures entering the battlefield don't cause abilities to trigger. Okay, so this is very interesting. Right? We've seen Hushbringer just kind of quietly become one of the more important cyborg cards. In Pioneer, sometimes even in Modern, right? we just need access to this kind of hate. Now it has flash in addition to flying. Doesn't have lifelink, but nobody cares about lifelink for the most part. And then on top of that, this tops artifacts, and this is the first card I believe of its kind that does that.
0: Well, I mean, Mom did all permanence, but to specifically point on artifacts, yes.
1: So because it has flash, you can almost treat this as like card advantage. It kind of snipes an ability in addition to being just like a straight-up hate piece.
0: Yeah, so what you have to consider is what are the abilities we think we're stopping here? What are the come-into-play abilities that are commonly played? There aren't actually that many creatures with come-into-play abilities in Pioneer. Um, so that that's kind of an interesting thing to think about, right? Red-Black plays the most creatures. They don't have any come to play abilities. Blood-Tithe-Harvester makes a blood um
1: well wild growth walker amalia
0: is the deck that this would target right isn't
1: right right.
0: yeah so that's but they have ways to gain life with that aren't coming to play abilities but this is one that's one of the few decks this is actually good against what do you think about this shutting off abilities dan
1: explain your own abilities like eater of days (laughs)
0: like yeah like you're playing Right, you're you're turning like um. There's a there's a three mana six two in this in this set that makes two one ones for them when it comes into play. So a very natural curve could be right on their end. Step you flash this into play, and then I play my six six two creature, and it doesn't um it doesn't give them anything. There's a whole hunted cycle, and that's modern legal, I believe. For instance,
1: I mostly closed that chapter of my life. Like we spent too Many tickets <laughs> trying to chase that dream of like, what if Cruxer was just a 6 6 for two? Uh, it's just not quite there. Uh, I mean, we tried Sundial the Infinite, we tried Hushbringer, Torpor Orb. This one has Flash at least, so you can surprise them, but I still just don't quite think that's worth it. Now, that's all on the creature side, I haven't really thought about the artifact side. Um, are there artifacts with like really negative ETBs? <laughs>
0: Not that I can think of. I think the ring is literally the only artifact I'm thinking about like stopping its ability.
1: Mm. Okay. <laughs> well.
0: I guess this stops like the um Oval Chase Daredevil cycle.
1: Oh yeah. Well there you go. So I think despite all our negative comments, I think this is a major upgrade to Hushbringer. Which is a card that has made its way into more decks than I would expect. So I would just like pick up a place out of this just to have it. Um and when the time is right, I think this will be better than Hushbringer.
0: Yeah, just leaving two mana up is so much easier than leaving three mana up. Um It's it's a sideboard card, not a main deck card, though, right? I mean there there's no main deck way to like take advantage of this. At this time.
1: Yeah. Agreed. Alright. Any other two drops you would like to offer up for consideration?
0: No, I think that's all of them. I think we're through all of the ones and twos. <laughs>
1: All right, we'll count that as a major success to get through all the ones and twos without any detours into caves or any other such nonsense like that. Um, So we're going to cut it here. We'll come back to hopefully finish out the set review in our next installment. Um, But until then, if you want to come hear more takes on these cards, uh, you can hop into our Discord. Or people are discussing these cars all the time. Uh, joining our Patreon also gets you access to the extended show notes, which is where David has left his written comments on all of these, um, including some cars that uh, we decided not to talk about when the actual time came, but you can find his notes on them uh, in the show notes as well. Beyond that, yeah, I mean, the set is releasing pretty soon, right? I think it's one week from today that you can play with this online. Is that right? Two weeks?
0: Wow, is it? I thought it was in February. I I, I don't know.
1: Okay. I'm anticipating. Yeah, yeah, I could be wrong about that. (laughs) Well, nevertheless, plenty of brewing to be done. And yeah, we will hit up all the expensive cards in our next installment. So David, thank you very much. And we'll see you next time.
0: Yeah, I will catch you uh, soon. Take care.